0: hello that was truly a mad dash i have a a um that's why i'm one minute late i have a uh what do you call it an alarm on my phone that like tells me like at 8 40 that i need to think about this thing um and then i'm like I, i don't need to worry about it until nine and then i'll start setting up So, but, I managed. Um, hi. Hi, you. (laughs) Welcome to How Did It Get So Late Radio, a live broadcast Tuesday nights at ten past nine, where I read you a short story. Um, Noodle is definitely uh, being a bit sassy tonight, so I apologize for any, um, any of that in the background um which i'm sure you're already hearing um it's been a weird day i'm i'm moving to new york and getting ready to go to an artist residency um and there's just my shit everywhere and i am definitely one of those people that needs to like i can't just throw things in a box Um, like I have to think about them, whether I want it or, um, if I should bring it. And then it has to be all organized. Um, like I have a stack of socks right now that I cannot pack yet because they need to be repaired first. Um, like a lint rolled, um, with one of those electric things or... I don't know. It's it's a real problem and I ex- I absolutely refuse to um pack it up until it is repaired. Um which is not the vibe because do you know how many things need to be repaired? There is truly always something to be done. Um I'm sure everyone else feels this way too. Um, because if there wasn't in life, then, like, how? I just can't imagine that there's not something to do all the time. Um, so it's a real problem. And so I've just been spending my time repairing socks. <laughs> and, um, a lot of organizing. And, um, yeah. But, but also I, I wanna have a good time in Richmond before I leave. And, um. So hopefully I'll get to do that. Uh, I, I've been wanting to go to the river again, and um, the weather has not been river weather, so hopefully this weekend I can go. Uh, but yeah, I'm very excited. Um, big, big move time. Um, I've also been watching a slew of animals All weekend, it was kind of insane. I was just driving around everywhere to just different animals. Um, Honestly, similar vibes to the job I had um, working estate sales. You just get to enter people's houses. And it's just so fascinating to see the way that people live. But, um, But the more I do... I I watch these animals, the more I realize that I am a cat person. (laughs) Um, don't get me wrong, I love dogs, um, but they better be some good ass dogs, you know? Like, just, oh god, they, they, these, these, this weekend were, were truly the worst. Um, the one that had to be hand-fed lunch meat was actually the best one. Um, but they truly have no personal boundaries. Um, it's honestly astonishing. And also, the the no shoes in the house rule, like, forget it, you know? Because you got a dog, four paws, not even just two, okay? Ravaging in dirt, I'm sure, just just all over your house, on your bed, like, forget it, you know, dirt everywhere. And I'm not, I'm not even that much of a clean freak person, but, ugh, and then just the licking, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm going on a rant now here, but um, I do love some dogs, and those dogs know who they are, um, so shout out to those dogs. I love you. Um, to all the other dogs, really, really it's an owner issue where they're not training their animals properly, which is actually just kind of sad for those dogs, so. I, I, I should have, I'm, I'm sorry to those dogs that I've just hated on. It's not, it's not your fault. Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> some reminders Um, if you have any stories you want to hear there is an email link at the bottom of the website so feel free to send those in Um, I have read a lot of horrible stories like I said last week but it's also been really cool seeing all the places that you can find like any kind of literature online Um, I got this week's story from Short Story Project. Um, I think that's, I think it's probably shortstoryproject.com or org. Um, Which is as it sounds. Um, But you can search by theme or by how long it'll take you to read a story. And most of it is free. Um, And it's like old stuff but also more recent stuff and yeah, I don't know, very cool. Um, I also commonly forget that libraries exist in real life. And, um, it's a real shame because there are so many things to be read. (laughs) Um, but there is also archive.org, um, which is an internet archive of books that I guess they, like, take archives from libraries everywhere and, um, and, like, combine them and most of it is free. Um, you, you do have to, like, check out, I'm putting in air quotations, but, um, so, like, you can borrow it for an hour to get access to it, um, and then once the hour is up, I don't really understand what the point of that is, but, um, but some of them you can also borrow for, like, 14 days or something. So, that's cool. Um, they also have old movies, um, some weird stuff on there, um, mildly pornographic, but, um, there's some old, older movies like silent films and, um, a lot of Charlie Chaplin, uh, Buster Keaton, that kind of thing, the comedic, um, slapstick humor, um, so check that out if you want to. Um, if you want to hear, you know, if one reading is not enough for you a week. um, Okay, though, if you miss a broadcast or that one reading was um, so just just so goddamn riveting that you need to hear it again, um, it will be available on the website I think I'm going to change it um, because I cannot, for the life of me, remember to take it down after 24 hours. That's just, it's it's asking a lot of me and so I'm thinking it will be available um, just until the next one broadcasts. Um, so Noodle is uh, eating his food now, um, so that's what that, that noise is. Um, also, um, exciting news, this is the last, this is my last little news before we get into the story, but, um, there's a chat feature on the website for you to share your feelings after the reading. Um, it's just, if you scroll down, it'll, it has a little live chat and then you can go here and hopefully it works. Um, hard to test myself but um it seemed pretty good um so no pressure to take part um in that but if you have any any pressing thoughts you would like to share um feel free I will try to keep an eye on it um I have a lot of things up on my screen right now I honestly feel like I'm a coder though at this point because the amount of time I spent embedding different chats um, with various layer of code that I don't know. I don't know what they mean, um, but I did that for like two hours until I was happy with the one that is currently on there, so it better not disappoint, truly. Um, yeah, but say hi. Um, oh, Bree says, yes, cats. Okay, glad it works. <laughs> um, okay, so this week's story uh, is by James Patrick Kelly, who is a science fiction writer and is still writing today at the age of 71. Um, he has quite a curious website it, it features a thoughts section, which is essentially just a, a blog, honestly. Um, but it has photos of him, like, uh, hiking and stuff. And it's pretty cute, actually, but also just really funny that an award-winning writer um, is... F- like his website is so not serious like in a good cute way but just so it's really funny it's like when you make a website on weebly in high school like it gives that (laughs) but but in a in the best way I mean that in the best best way um check it out if if you uh if you if you want to, I think he also prefers to go by Jim instead of James, uh, because his website is called jimkelly.net dot um, So I don't I don't know what that's about, but um, yeah uh, yeah. So this particular one we are reading tonight won a Hugo Award in two thousand. Um, I I. Normally, I know what year it was written, but now I'm realizing that I did not look that up. But I'm imagining it's somewhere around 2000, probably 1998, maybe. I don't know. I don't know, actually. You know, just forget it. I, I actually have no idea. But anyway, um, I did not pre-read this one also. So honestly, I have very little info. On what to expect. Hopefully it is good. Um, I really just read some reviews um, and the first few paragraphs and I liked the way he wrote Um, and we also haven't read any science fiction yet so I thought it would be a nice change of pace from our serious story from last week. Um, Though I don't believe that this one is like outright sci-fi it's not like Star Wars or anything it's got it's definitely got more real life settings and he tends to sprinkle in some history from what I've read and heard um, which I personally love because I love knowing random facts but um, yeah hopefully hopefully it's not the boring kind of history um, yeah so it will run about 45-ish minutes? I'm really bad at, at calculating that, but um, probably around that time. Um, so here is 10 to the 16th to 1. I remember how lonely it was when I met Cross. I never let anyone know about it because being alone back then didn't make me quite so unhappy. Besides, I was just a kid. I thought it was my own fault. It looked like I had friends. In 1962, I was on the swim team and got elected assistant patrol leader of the Wolf Patrol in Boy Scout Troop 7. When sides got chosen for kickball at recess, I was usually the fourth or fifth pick. I wasn't the best student in the sixth grade of John Jay Elementary School. That was Betty Giroli. But I was smart, and the other kids made me feel bad about it. So I stopped raising my hand when I knew the answer, and I watched my vocabulary. I remember I said, I'll bet once, in class, and they teased me for weeks. Packs of girls would come up to me on the playground. Oh, Ray, they'd call. And when I turned around, they'd scream, I'll beat it, and run away, choking with laughter. It wasn't that I wanted to be popular or anything. All I really wanted was a friend, one friend, a friend I didn't have to hide anything from. Then came Cross. And that was the end of that. One of the problems was that we lived so far away from everything. Back then, Westchester County wasn't so suburban. Our house was deep in the woods, in tiny Willoughby, New York, at the dead end of Cobb's Hill Road. In the winter, we could see Long Island Sound, a silver needle on the horizon pointing towards the city. But school was a half-hour drive away, and the nearest kid lived in Ward's Hollow, three miles down the road. And he was a dumb fourth grader. Ugh, I hate those. So I didn't have any real friends. Instead, I had science fiction. Mom used to complain that I was obsessed. I watched Superman rewinds every day after school. On Friday nights, Dad used to let me sign stay up for Twilight Zone. I watched Twilight Zone when I was little, and a scary. Even now, I'd say, scary. That's that's crazy. Um, but that fall, CBS had temporarily canceled it. Um, for a reason, sir. Um, it's a great show. It's just scary. <laughs> I watched old sci-fi movies on adventure theater. My favorites were Forbidden Planet and The Day the Earth Stood Still. I think it was because of the robots. I decided that when I grew up and it was the future, I was going to buy one so I wouldn't have to be alone anymore. That will be possible. Okay. On Monday mornings, I'd get my weekly allowance. A quarter. Usually I'd get off the bus that same afternoon down in Ward's Hollow so I could go to Village Variety. 25 cents bought two comics and a pack of red licorice. I especially loved DC's Green Lantern. Marvel's Fantastic Four and Incredible Hawk. But I'd buy almost any superhero. I read all the science fiction books in the library twice, even though Mom kept nagging me to try different things. But what I loved best of all was Galaxy Magazine. Dad had a a subscription. And when he was done reading them, he would slip them to me. Mom didn't approve. I always used to read them up in the attic or out in the lean, too. I'd lash together in the woods. Afterwards, I'd store them under my bunk in the bomb shelter. I knew that after the nuclear war there would be no TV or radio or anything and I need something to keep me busy when I wasn't fighting mutants. I was too young in 1962 to understand about mom's drinking. I could see that she got bright and wobbly at night, but she she was always up in the morning to make me a hot breakfast before school and she would have graham crackers and peanut butter waiting when I came home, sometimes cinnamon toast. Dad said I shouldn't ask Mom for rides after 5 because she got so tired keeping house for us. He sold Anderson windows and was away a lot, so I was pretty much stranded most of the time. But he always made a point to being home on the first Tuesday of the month so he could take me to the scout meeting at 7.30. Now, looking back on it, I can't really say that I had an unhappy childhood, until I met Cross. I remember it was a warm Saturday afternoon in October. The leaves covering the ground were still crisp, and their scent spiced the air. I was in the lean-to I'd built that spring, mostly to practice the square and diagonal lashings I needed for scouts. I was reading Galaxy. I even remember the story, The Ballad of Lost Seamill, by Corowainer Smith. The squirrels must have been chittering for some time, but I was too engrossed by Lord Jestikoff's problems to notice. Then I heard a faint crunch, not ten feet away. I froze, listening, crunch, crunch, then silence. It could have been a dog, except that dogs didn't usually slink through the woods. I was hoping it might be a deer. I'd never seen a deer in Willoughby before, although I'd heard hunters shooting. I scooted silently across the dirt floor and peered between the dead saplings. At first, I couldn't see anything, which was odd. The woods weren't all that thick, and the leaves had long since dropped from the understory brush. I wondered if I had imagined the sounds. It wouldn't have been the first time. Then I heard a twig snap, maybe a foot away. The wall shivered as if something had brushed up against it but there was nothing there. Nothing. I might have screamed then, except my throat started to close. I heard whatever it was skulk to the front of the lean-to. I watched in horror as the unseen weight pressed an acorn into the soft earth, and then I scrambled back into the farthest corner. That's when I noticed that, when I wasn't looking directly at it, The air where the invisible thing should have been shimmered like a mirage. The lashings that held the frame creaked as if it were bending over to see what it had caught, getting ready to drag me, squealing out into the sun, and Oh fuck, it said in a high, panicky voice, and then it thrashed away into the woods. In that moment, I was transformed, and I suppose that history, too, was forever changed, I had somehow scared the thing off. Twelve-year-old scrawny me. But more important was what it had said. Certainly, I was well aware of the existence of the word fuck before then, but I had never dared use it myself, nor do I remember hearing it spoken by an adult. A spaz like the Murphy kid might say it under his breath, but he hardly counted. I'd always thought of it as a language's atomic bomb. Used properly, the word should make brains shrivel, eardrums explode. But when the invisible said thing said fuck and then ran away, it betrayed a vulnerability that made me reckless and more than a little stupid. Hey, stop! I took off in pursuit. I didn't have any trouble chasing it. The thing was no Davy Crockett. It was noisy and clumsy and slow. I could see a flittery outline as it lumbered along. I closed I closed to within 20 feet and then had to hold back or I would have caught up to it. I had no idea what to do next. We blundered on in slower and slower motion until finally I just stopped. W- "'Wait!' I called. W- "'What do you want?' I put my hands on my waist and bent over like I was trying to catch my breath, although I didn't need to. The thing stopped too but didn't reply. Instead, it sucked air in wheezy, ragged hoofs. It was hard to see, now that it was standing still, but I think it must have turned toward me. Are are you okay? I said. You are a child, it spoke, with an odd chirping kind of accent. Child was ch-i-eld. I'm in the sixth grade. I straightened, spread my hands in front of me to show that I wasn't a threat. What's your name? It didn't answer. I took a step forward and waited. Still nothing, but at least it didn't bolt. I'm Ray Beaumont, I said finally. I live over there, I pointed. How come I can't see you? What is the a? It said. For a moment, I thought it meant data, data. I puzzled over an answer. I didn't want it thinking I was just a stupid little kid. Uh, I, I don't know, I said cautiously, October 20th? The thing considered this, then asked a question that took my breath away. And what year is it? Oh, jeez. I said. At that point, I wouldn't have been surprised if Rod Sterling himself had popped out from behind the tree and starting addressing the unseen TV audience, which might have included me, except this was really happening. Do you know what you just, what it means when, what, what? Its voice rose in alarm. You're invisible, and you don't know what year it is. Everyone knows what year it is. Are you... You're not from here. Yes, yes, I am. 1962. Of course, this is 1962. It paused. And I am not invisible. It squeezed about eight syllables into invisible. I heard a sound like paper ripping. This is only camel. Or at least, that's what I thought it said. Camel? No. Camo. The air in front of me crinkled and slid away from a dark face. You have not heard of Camo Flash? Oh, sure, Camo. I suppose the thing meant to reassure me by showing itself, but the effect was just the opposite. Yes, it had two eyes, a nose, and a mouth. It striped off the camouflage to reveal a neatly pressed gray three-piece business suit, a white shirt, and a red and blue striped tie. At night on the crowded street in Manhattan, I might have passed it right by. Dad had taught me not to stare at the kooks in the city. But in the afternoon light, I could see all the things wrong with its disguise. The hair, for example, not exactly crew cut. It was more of a stubble, like Mr. Rodrowski's chin when he was growing his beard. The thin, The thing was way too thin. Its skin was shiny, its fingers too long, and its face... It it looked like one of those Barbie dolls. Are you a boy or a girl? I said. It started. There's something wrong. I cocked my head to one side. I think maybe it's your eyes. They're too big or something. Are you wearing makeup? I am naturally male. It, he brusseled as he stepped out of the camouflage suit eyes do not have gender wow way before way before his time this this thing uh in 1962 if you say so i could see he was going to need help getting around only he didn't seem to know it i was hoping he'd reveal himself brief me on the mission I even had an idea how we could contact President Kennedy or whoever he needed to meet with. Mr. Newell, the scoutmaster, used to be a colonial in the army. He would know some general who could call the Pentagon. What's your name? I said. He draped the suit over his arm. Cross. I waited for the rest of it as he folded the suit in half. Just cross, I said. Okay. This is unrelated, but listen to Noodle. He's really burn. Are You burning? He's He keeps chewing on my headphones. That's not for you. <laughs> um, he waited for the rest. Where am I? Where am I? Just Cross, I said? My given name is Chitmansing. He whirl warble, warbled it like he was calling birds. That's okay, I said. Let's just let's just make it mister Cross. As you wish, mister Beaumont. He folded the suit again, again and again. Hey, he continued to fold it. How do you do that? Can I see? He handed it over. The camo suit was more impossible than it had been when it was invisible. He had reduced it to a six-inch square card, as thin and flexible as the queen of spades. I folded it in half myself. The two sides seemed to meld together. It would fit into my wallet perfectly. I wondered if Cross knew how close it was to running off with this amazing gizmo. He'd never catch me. I could see flashes of my brilliant career. As the invisible superhero. Tales to confound presence. The the origin of Camo Kid. I turned the card over and over, trying to figure out how to unfold it again. There was no seam, no latch. How could I use it? Noodle. Stop it. He's really going crazy with all the force. Buddy. (laughs) I could um I turned the card over and over, trying to figure out how to unfold it again. There was no seam, no latch. How could I use it if I couldn't open it? Neat, I said reluctantly. I gave the card back to him. besides real super superheroes didn't steal their powers. I watched Cross slip the card into his vest pocket. Okay, wait, a pause because I'm confused. If he was wearing that suit as camouflage, what is he wearing now? Um, because that is the only thing he described that he was wearing, and now it's in a perfect square. I- what is he wearing now? (laughs) I- yeah, I have questions. I watched Cross slip the card into his vest pocket. I wasn't scared of him. What scared me was that any minute he might walk out of my life. I had to find a way to tell him him I was on his side. Whatever that was. So you live around here, Mr. Cross? I am from the island of Mauritius. Where is that? It is in the Indian Ocean, Mr. Beaumont, near Madagascar. I knew where Madagascar was from playing Risk. So I told him that, but then I couldn't think of what else to say. Finally, I had to blurt out something, anything, to fill the silence. It's nice here, real quiet, you know, private. Yes, I had not expected to meet anyone. He too seemed at a loss. I have business in New York City on the 26th of October. New York? That's a ways away. Is it? How far would you say? Fifty miles? Sixty, maybe? You have a car? No, I do not drive, Mr. Beaumont. I am to take the train. The nearest train station was New Cannon, Connecticut. I could have hiked it in maybe half a day. It would be dark in a couple hours. If your business isn't until the 26th, you'll need a place to stay. The plan is to take rooms at a hotel in Manhattan. That costs money. He opened a wallet and showed me a wad of crisp new bills. For a minute, I thought they might be counterfeit. I hadn't realized that Ben Franklin's picture was on money. Cross was giving me the goofiest grin. I just knew he, they'd eat him alive in New York and spit out the bones. My biggest fear, moving to New York. <laughs> are you sure you went to stay in a hotel? I said, he frowned. Why would I not? Look, you need a friend, Mr. Cross. Things are different here than, than on your island. Sometimes people do, you know... Bad stuff, especially in the city. He nodded and put his wallet away. I am aware of the dangers, Mr. Beaumont. I have trained not to draw attention to myself. I have the proper equipment. He tapped the pocket where the camo was. I didn't point out to him. Doesn't he know you don't need camouflage to be invisible in New York City? I didn't point out to him that all his training and equipment hadn't kept him from being caught out by a 12-year-old. Sure. Okay. It's just, look, I have a place for you to stay if you want, and no one will know. Your parents, Mr. Beaumont. My dad's in Massachusetts until next Friday. He travels, he's in the window business, and my mom won't know. How can she not know that you have invited a stranger into your house? Not the house, I said. My dad built us a bomb shelter. You'll be safe there, Mr. Cross. It's the safest place I know. I remember how Cross seemed to lose interest in me. His mission and the entire 20th 20th century the moment he entered the shelter. He sat around all of Sunday, dodging my attempts to draw him out. He seemed distracted, like he was listening to a conversation I couldn't hear. When I would talk, we played games. At first it was cards. When he wouldn't talk, we played games. At first it was cards, gin and crazy eights, mostly. In the afternoon, I went back to the house and brought over checkers and Monopoly, despite the fact that he did not seem to be paying much attention. He beat me like a drum. Not one game was even close, but that wasn't what bothered me. I believed this man had come from the future, and here I was building hotels on Baltic Avenue. Monday was a school day. I thought Cross would object to my plan of locking him in and taking both my key and mom's key with me, but he never said a word. I told him that it was the only way I could be sure that Mom didn't catch him by surprise. Actually, I doubted she'd come all the way out to the shelter. She'd stay away after Dad gave her that first tour. She had about as much use for nuclear war as she had for science fiction. Still, I had no idea what she did during the day while I was gone. I couldn't take chances. Besides, it was a good way to make sure that Cross didn't skin out on me dad had built the shelter instead of taking a vacation in 1960 the year kennedy beat nixon i was buried about 150 feet from the house nothing special it was buried not him oh my god it was buried about 150 feet from the house nothing special just a little cellar without anything built on top of it The entrance was a steel bulkhead that led down five steps to another steel door. The inside was cramped. There were a couple of cots, a sink, and a toilet. Almost half of the space was filled with supplies and equipment. There were no windows, and it always smelled a little musty, but I love going down there to pretend the bombs were falling. Oh my god. These kids are traumatized. When I opened the shelter door after school on that Monday, Cross lay just as I had left him the night before, sprawled across the big cot, staring at nothing. I remember being a little worried. I thought he might be sick. I stood beside him, and he still didn't acknowledge my presence. "'Are you all right, Mr. Cross?' I said. "'I brought risk.' I set it next to him on the bed and nudged him with the corner of the box to wake him up. "'Did you eat?' He sat up, took the corner, the cover off the game, and started reading the rules. President Kennedy will address the nation, he said, this evening at seven o'clock. For a moment, I thought he had made a slip. How do you know that? The announcement came last night. I realized his pronunciation had improved a lot announcement only had three syllables. I have been studying the radio. I walked over to the radio on the shelf next to the sink. Dad said we were supposed to leave it unplugged. Something about bombs making a power surge. It was a brand new solid state multi-band health kit that I'd helped him build. When I pressed the on button, women immediately started singing about shopping. Where the values go up, 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 and the prices go down, down, down. I turned it off again. Do me a favor, okay? I said. Next time, when you're done, would you please unplug this? I could get in trouble if you don't. I stooped to yank the plug. When I stood up, he was holding a sheet of paper. I will need some things tomorrow, Mr. Beaumont. I would be grateful if you could assist me." I glanced at the list without comprehension. You must have typed it, only there was no typewriter in the shelter. To buy. One General Electric Transistor radio with earplug. One General Electric Replacement earplug. Two Ever-Ready heavy-duty 9-volt batteries. One New York Times, Tuesday, October 23rd. ran. Rand McNally map of New York City and vicinity. To receive in change. Five dollars in coins. Twenty nickels. Ten dimes. Twelve quarters. When I looked up, I could feel the change in him. His gaze was electric. It seemed to crackle down my nerves. I could tell that what I did next would matter very much. I don't get it, I said. There are inaccuracies? I tried to stall. Look, you'll pay almost double if we buy a transistor radio at Ward's Hollow. I'll have to buy it at Village Variety. Wait a couple days, we can get one cheaper down in Stamford. My need is immediate. He extended his hand and tucked something into the pocket of my shirt. I am assured this will cover the expense. I was afraid to look, even though I knew what it was. He'd given me a hundred-dollar bill. I tried to thrust it back at him, but he stepped away and it spun on the floor between us. I can't spend that. You you must read your own money, Mr. Beaumont. He picked the bill up and brought it into the light of the bare bulb on the ceiling. This note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. No, no, you don't understand. A kid like me doesn't walk into Village Variety with a hundred bucks. Mr. Rodowski would call my mom. If it is inconvenient for you, I will secure the items myself. He offered me the money again. If I didn't agree, he'd leave and probably never come back. I was getting mad at him. Everything would be so much easier if he'd only admit what we both knew about who he was. Then I could do whatever he wanted with a clear conscience. instead, he was keeping all the wrong secrets and acting really weird it made it made me it made me feet dirty like I was helping a pervert. What's going on? I said. I do not know how to respond, Mr. Beaumont. You have the list. Read it now and tell me, please, with which items you have a problem. I snatched the hundred dollars from him and jammed it into my pants pocket. Why don't you trust me? He stiffened as if I had hit him. I let you stay here. I didn't tell anyone. You have to give me something, Mr. Cross. Well, then, he looked uncomfortable, I I would ask you to keep the change. Oh, geez, thanks, I snorted in disgust. Okay, okay, I'll buy this stuff right after school tomorrow. With that, he seemed to lose interest again. When we opened the risk board, he showed me where his island was, except it wasn't there because it was too small. We played three games and he crushed me every time. I remember at the end of the last game watching in disbelief as he finished building a wall of invading armies along the shores of North Africa. South America, my last continent, was doomed. Looks like you win again, I said. I traded in the last of my cards for new armies and launched a final useless counterattack. When I was done, he studied the board for a moment. I think risk is not a proper simulation, Mr. Beaumont. We should both lose for fighting such a war. That's crazy, I said. Both sides can't lose. Yet they can, he said. It sometimes happens that the victors envy the dead. (coughs) That night was the first time I can remember being bothered by mom talking back to the TV. I used to talk back to the TV, too. When Buffalo Bob asked what time it was, I would screech, It's howdy-doody time! Just like every other kid in America. My fellow citizens, said President Kennedy, let no one doubt that this is a difficult and dangerous time on which we have set out. I thought the president looked tired, like Mr. Newell on the third day of a campout. No one can foresee precisely what course it will take or what costs or casualties will be incurred. Oh my God, Mom screamed at him. You're going to kill us all. Despite the fact that it was close to her bedtime, she was shouting at the president of the United States. Mom looked great. She was wearing a shiny black dress and a string of pearls. She always got dressed up at night, whether Dad was home or not. I suppose most kids don't notice how their mothers look, but everyone always said how beautiful Mom was. And since Dad thought so too, I went along with it. As long as she didn't open her mouth, the problem... As long as she didn't open her mouth. The problem was that a lot of the time, Mom didn't make any sense when she embarrass me, it didn't matter how pretty she was. I just wanted to crawl behind the couch. Mom. As she leaned towards the television, the martini in her glass came came close to slopping over the edge. President Kennedy stayed calm. The paths we have chosen for the present is full of hazards, as all paths are, but it is... "'The one most consistent with our character and our courage as a nation "'and our commitments around the world. "'The cost of freedom is always high, but Americans have always paid it. "'And one path we shall never choose, and that is a path of surrender or submission.'" "'Shut up, you foolish man! Stop this!' She, shout, she shot out of her chair, and then some of her drink did spill. Oh damn. Take it easy, mom. Don't you understand? She put the glass down and tore a Kleenex from the box on the end of the table. He wants to start World War 3. She dabbed at the front of her dress and the phone rang. I said, "Mom, nobody wants World War 3." She ignored me, brushed by and picked up the phone on the third ring. "Thank God," she said. I could tell from the sound of her voice that it was Dad. You heard him then? She bit her lip as she listened to him. Yes, but watching her face made me sorry I was in the sixth grade. Better to be a stupid little kid again who thought grown-ups knew everything. I wondered whether Cross had heard the speech. No, I i can't. Dave, no. She covered the phone with her hand. Ramy, turn off that TV! I hated it when she called me Ramy. So I only turned the sound down. You have to come home now, Dave. No, you listen to me. Can't you see the man's obsessed? Just because he has a grudge against Castro doesn't mean he's allowed to... With the sound off, Chet Huntley looked as if he were speaking at his own funeral. I am NOT going in there without you. I think Dad must have been shouting. Because Mom held the receiver away from her ear. She waited for him to calm down and said, And neither is Ramy. He'll stay with me. Let me talk to him, I said. I bounced off the couch. The look she gave me stopped me dead. What for? she said to Dad. No, we, we're going to finish this conversation. David, do you hear me? She listened for a moment. Okay, alright, but don't you dare hang up she waved me over and slapped the phone into my hand as if i had put the missiles in cuba she stalked to the kitchen i needed a grown-up so bad that i almost cried when i heard dad's voice ray he said your mother is pretty upset yes i said i want to come home i i will come home but i can't just yet if i just up and leave and this blows over i'll get fired but dad you're in charge until i get there understand son if the time comes everything is up to you yes sir i whispered i heard i'd heard what he didn't say it was up to her i want you to go out to the shelter tonight Wait until she goes to sleep, top off the water drums, get all the gas out of the garage, store it next to the generator, but here's the most important thing. You know the sacks of rice? Drag them off to the side, the pallet too, there's a hatch underneath, the key to the airlock door unlocks it, you've got two new guns and plenty of ammunition, the revolver The revolver is a 370, 357 Magnum, you be careful with that, Ray. It can blow a hole in a car, but it's hard to aim. The double-barreled shotgun is easy to aim, but you have to be close to do any harm. And I want you to bring down the Game Master from my closet and the thirty-eight from my dresser drawer. He had been talking as if there would be no tomorrow. He paused then to catch his breath. Now, this is all just in case, okay? I just want you to know. I had never been so scared in my life. Ray. I should have told him about Cross then, but Mom weaved into the room. Got it, Dad, I said. Here she is. Mom smiled at me. It was a lopsided smile that was trying to be brave, but it wasn't doing a very good job of it. She had a new glass and it was full. She held out her hand for the phone and I gave it to her. I remember waiting until almost 10 o'clock that night, reading under the covers with a flashlight. The Fantastic Four invaded Latveria to defeat Dr. Doom. Spider-Man tricked Mr. Ms. Oh, I'm not even gonna, there's literally no vowels in that name. Um, but yeah, Mr. M. Into saying his name backwards once again. When I opened the door to my parents' bedroom, I could hear mom snoring. It spooked me. I hadn't realized that women did that. I thought about sneaking in to get the guns, but decided to take care of them tomorrow. I stole out to the shelter, turned my key to the lock, and pulled on the bulkhead door. It didn't move. That didn't make any sense, so I gave it a hard yank. The steel door rattled terribly, but did not swing away. The air had turned frosty and the sound carried in the cold. I held my breath, listened to my blood pound. The house stayed dark, the shelter quiet as stones. After a few moments, I tried one last time before I admitted to myself what had happened. Cross had bolted the door shut from the inside. I went back to my room but couldn't sleep. I kept going to the window to watch the sky over New York, waiting for a flash of killing light. I was all but convinced that the city would burn that very night in nuclear fire and that mom and I would die horrible deaths soon after, pounding on the unyielding steel doors of our shelter. Dad had left me in charge and I had let him down. I didn't understand why Cross had locked us out. If he knew that a nuclear war was about to start, he might want our shelter all to himself. But that made him a monster and I still didn't see him as a monster. I tried to tell myself that he'd been asleep and couldn't hear me at the door, but that couldn't be right. If he'd come to prevent the war, he'd said he had business in the city on Thursday. He could be doing something really, really futuristic in there that he couldn't let me see, or else he was having problems. Maybe our 20th century germs had got to him, and they had, like they had killed H.G. Wells's Martians. I must have teased a hundred different ideas apart that night, in between uneasy trips to the window and the glimpses at the clock. The last time I remember seeing was 4.16. I tried to stay up to face the end, but I couldn't. I wasn't dead when I woke up in the the next morning, so I had to go to school. Mom had cream of wheat all ready when I dragged myself to the table. Although she was all bright and bubbly, I could feel her giving me the mother's eye when I wasn't looking. She always knew when something was wrong. I tried not to show her anything, there was no time to sneak out to the shelter. I barely had time to finish eating before she bundled me off to the bus. Right after the morning bell, Mr. Tuhuli took us to the open... Took us to open the story of New York State to Chapter 7, Resources and Products, and read to ourselves. Then she left the room. We looked at each other in amazement. I heard Bobby Konoff whisper something. It was probably dirty. A few kids snickered. Chapter 7 started with a map of product symbols. Two teeny little cows grazed near Binghampton. Rochester was cog and a pair of glasses. Elmira was an adding machine. Oswego an apple. There was a lightning bolt over Niagara Falls. Dad had promised to take us there someday. I had the sick feeling that we'd never get the chance. Miss Tahue? too looked pale when she came back but that didn't stop her from giving us a spelling test I got a 95 the word I spelled wrong was enigma the hot lunch was American chop suey a roll and a salad and a bowl of butterscotch pudding in the afternoon we did decimals nobody said anything about the end of the world I decided to get off the bus in Ward's Hollow, buy the stuff Cross wanted, and pretend I didn't know he had locked the shelter door last night. If he said something about it, I'd act surprised. If he didn't, I don't know what I'd do then. Village Variety was next to Warren's Esso and across the street from the post office. It had once been two different stores located in the same building, but then Mr. Rodreski had bought the building and knocked down the dividing wall. On the fun side were pens and pencil and paper and greeting cards and magazines and comics and paperbacks and candy. The other side was all boring hardware and small appliances. I went through the store quickly. Oh, wait. Mr. Radjowski was on the phone when I came in. But then he was always on the phone when he worked. He could sell you a hammer or a pack of baseball cards, tell you a joke, ask about your family, complain about the weather, and still keep the guy on the other end of the line happy. This time, though, when he saw me come in, he turned away, wrapping the phone cord across his shoulder. I went through the store quickly and found everything Cross had wanted. I had to blow dust off the transistor radio box, but the batteries looked fresh. There was only one New York Times left. The headlines were so big, they were scary. U.S. imposes arms blockade on Cuba. On finding of offensive missile sites. Kennedy ready for Soviet shutdown. Ships must stop. President grave, prepared to risk war. I set my purchases on the counter in front. In front of Mr. Rodowski. he cocked his head to one side, trapping the telephone receiver against his shoulder, and rang me up. The paper was on the bottom of the pile. Since when do you read the Times, Ray? Mr. Rodowski punched it into the cash register and hit total. I just got the new Fantastic Four. The cash drawer popped open. Maybe tomorrow, I said. All right, then. It comes to tw- $12.47. I gave him the $100 bill. What is this, Ray? He stared at it and then at me. I had my story all ready. It was a birthday gift from my grandma in Detroit. She said I could spend it on whatever I wanted to, so I decided to treat myself, but I'm going to put the rest in the bank. You're buying a radio from me? Well, you know, I thought maybe I should have one with... Me, with all the stuff going on. He didn't say anything for a moment. He just pulled a paper bag from under the counter and put my things into it. His shoulders were hunched. I thought maybe he felt guilty about overcharging for the radio. You should be listening to music, Ray, he said quietly. You like Elvis? All kids like Elvis. They're all right, I guess. You're too young to be worrying about the news, you hear me? Those politicians? He shook his head. It's gonna be okay, Ray. You heard it from me. Sure, Mr. Rosowski. I was wondering, could I get five dollars in change? I could feel him watching me as I stuffed it all into my book bag. I was certain he'd call my mom, but he never did. Home was three miles up Cobbs Hill. I did it in 40 minutes. A record. I remember I started running when I saw the flashing lights. The police car had left skid marks in the gravel on our driveway. Where were you? Mom burst out of the house as she came across the lawn. Oh my god, Remy, I was worried sick. She caught me up in her arms. I got off the bus in Ward's Hollow. She was about to smother me. I squirmed free. What happened? This the boy, ma'am? The state trooper had taken his time ch- catching up to her he had almost the same hat that Scoutmaster as Scoutmaster Newell yes yes thank God officer the troop patted me on the head like I was a lost dog you had your mom worried Ray Raymie, you should have told me somebody tell me what happened I said a second trooper came from behind the house we watched him approach no sign of any intruder He looked bored. I wanted to scream. Intruder, I said. He broke into the shelter, my mom said. He knew my name. There was no sign of forcible entry, said the second trooper. I saw him exchange a glance with his partner. Nothing disturbed that I could see. He didn't have time, mom said. When I found him in the shelter, I ran back to the house and got your father's gun from the bedroom. The thought of mom with a thirty-eight scared me. I had my shooting merit badge, but she didn't know a hammer from a trigger. You didn't shoot him? No, she shook her head. He had plenty of time to leave, but he was still there when I came back. That's when he said my name. I had never been so mad at her before. You never go out to the shelter. She had that puzzled look that she always gets at night. I I couldn't find my key. I, I used the one your father leaves over the breezeway door. What did he say again, ma'am, the intruder? He said, Miss Beaumont, I present no danger to you. And I said, who are you? And then he came towards me and I thought he said, Margaret. And I started firing. You did shoot him. Both troopers must have heard the panic in my voice. The first one said, you know something about this man, Ray? No, I I, I was at school all day and then I stopped at Radowski's. I could feel my eyes burning. I was so embarrassed. I knew I was about to cry in front of them. Mom acted annoyed that the troopers had stopped paying attention to her. I shot at him three, four times. I don't know. I must have missed because he just stood there staring at me. It seemed like forever. Then he walked past me up the stairs like nothing had happened. And he didn't say anything? Not a word. Well, it beats me said the second trooper. The gun's been fired four times, but there are no bullet holes in the shelter and no bloodstains. "'You mind if I ask you a personal question, Miss Beaumont? the first trooper said. She colored. "'I suppose not. "'Have you been drinking, ma'am?' "'Oh, that,' she seemed relieved. "'No, well, I I mean, after I called you, "'I did pour myself a little something "'just to steady my nerves.' "'I was worried because my son was so late, and... Uh, Ramy, what's... what's the matter?' "'I felt so small, the tears were pouring down my face. "'After the troopers left, "'I remember Mom baking brownies while I watched Superman. "'I wanted to go out and hunt for Cross, "'but it was already s- sunset, "'and there was no excuse I could come up with "'for wandering around in the dark. "'Besides, what was the point? "'He was gone, driven off by my mother.' I had a chance to help a man from the future, change history, maybe prevent World War III, and I had blown it. My life was ashes. I wasn't hungry that night, for brownies or spaghetti or anything, but Mom made that clucking noise when I pushed supper around the plate, so I ate a few bites just to shut her up. I was surprised at how easy it was to hate her, how good it felt. Of course, she was oblivious, but in the morning she would notice if I wasn't careful, After dinner, she watched the news, and I went upstairs to read. I wrapped a pillow around my head when she yelled at David Brinkley. I turned out the lights at 8.30, but I couldn't get to sleep. She went to her room a little after that. Mr. Beaumont? I must have dozed off, but when I heard his voice, I snapped awake immediately. Is that you, Cross? I peered into the darkness. I bought the stuff you wanted. The room filled with an awful stink, like when my mom drove with the parking brake on. Mr. Beaumont, he said. I am damaged. I slipped out of bed, picked my way across the dark room, locked the door, and turned on the light. Oh, jeez! He slumped against my desk like a nightmare. I remember thinking that when Cross wasn't human, that maybe he wasn't even alive. His proportions were wrong. An ear, a shoulder, and both feet sagged like they had melted. Little wisps of steam or something curled off him. They were what smelled. His skin had gone all shiny and hard. So had his business suit. I wonder why he never took the suit coat off. And now I knew. His clothes were part of him. The middle fingers of his right hand beat spasmodically against his palm. Okay, so he is he's wearing a second suit, I see now. Uh, makes sense. Mr Beaumont, he said, I calculate your chances at ten sixteenths to one. Chances of what? I said. What what happened to you? You must listen most attentively, mister Beaumont. My decline is very bad for history. It is for you now to alter the timeline probabilities i don't understand your government greatly overestimates the nuclear capability of the soviet union if you originate a first strike the united states will achieve overwhelming victory does the president know this you we have to tell him john kennedy will not welcome such information If he starts this war, he will be responsible for the deaths of tens of millions, both Russians and Americans, but he does not grasp the future of the arms race. The war must happen now, because those who come after will build and build, until they control arsenals which can destroy the world many times over. People are not capable of thinking for very long for such fearsome weapons. They tire of the idea of extinction, and then become numb to it. The build-up slows, but does not stop, and they congratulate themselves on having survived it. But there are still too many weapons, and they never go away. The Third War comes as a surprise. The First War was called the One to End All Wars. The Third War is the only such war possible, Mr. Beaumont, because it ends everything. History stops in 2009. Do you understand? Understand? A year later, there is no life. All dead. The world a hot, barren rock. But but you? I am nothing. A construct, Mr. Beaumont. Please, the chances are ten sixteenths to one, he said. Do you know how improbable that is? His laugh sounded like a hiccup. But for the sake of those few precious timelines, we must continue. There is a man, a politician in New York. If he dies on Thursday night, he will create the incident that forces Kennedy's hand. Dies? For days I had been desperate for him to talk. Now all I wanted was to run away. You're going to kill somebody? The world will survive a third war that starts on Friday, October 22, 1962. What about me, my parents, do we survive? I cannot access that timeline. I have no certain answer for you. Please, Mr. Beaumont, this politician will die of a heart attack in less than three years. He has made no great contribution to history, yet his assassination can save the world. Sorry, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking of, um, oh my god, his name is completely leaving me now, but, um, oh fuck, I'll, I'll remember later, but I'm just thinking of him and how, oh, if only he would die of a heart attack. What do you want from me? But I had already guessed Will he speak most eloquently at the United Nations on Friday evenings? Afterwards, he will have dinner with his friend Ruth Fields. Around 10 o'clock, he will return to his residence at the Waldorf Towers. Not the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, but the Towers. He will take the elevator to suite 42A. He is the American ambassador to the United Nations. His name is Aldi Stevenson. Stop it. Don't say anything else. When he sighed, his breath was a cloud of a crude steam. I have based my calculation of the timeline probabilities on two data points, Mr. Beaumont, which I discovered in your bomb shelter. The first is the 357 Magnum revolver located under a pallet of rice bags. I trust you know this weapon? Yes, I whispered. The second is the collection of magazines located under your cot. It would seem that you take an interest in what is to come, Mr. Beaumont, and that may lend you the terrible courage you will need to divert this timeline from disaster. You should know that there is not just one future. There are infinite number of futures in which all possibilities are expressed. An infinite number of Raymond Beaumonts. Mr. Gross, I can't. Perhaps not, he said, but I believe that another one of you can. You don't understand, I watched in horror as a boil swelled on the side of his face and popped, expelling an evil jet of yellow steam. What? Oh, fuck. That was the last thing he said. He slid to the floor. Or maybe he was just a body at that point? More boils formed and burst. I opened all the windows in my room and got the fan down out of the closet and still I can't believe that stink didn't wake Mom up. Over the course of the next few hours, he sort of vaporized. When it was over, there was a sticky dark spot on the floor the size of my pillow. I moved the throw rug from one side of the room to the other to cover it up. I had nothing to prove that Cross existed, but a transistor radio, a couple batteries, an earplug, and $87.53 in change. I might have done things differently if I hadn't had a day to think. I can't remember going to school on Wednesday, who I talked to, what I ate. I was feverishly trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. I had no place to go for answers, not Miss Tahui. Not my parents, not the Bible or the Boy Scout handbook, certainly not Galaxy magazine. Whatever I did had to come out of me. I watched the news with mom that night. President Kennedy had brought our military to the highest possible state of alert. There were reports that some Russian ships had turned away from Cuba. Others continued on course. Dad called and said his trip was being cut short and that he would be home the next day. But that was too late. I hid behind the stone wall when the school bus came on Thursday morning. Miss Johnson honked a couple of times and then drove on. I sit out for new cannon, carrying my book bag. In it were the radio, the batteries, the coins, the map of New York, and the 357. I had the rest of Cross's money in my wallet. It took more than five hours to hike to the train station. I expected to be scared, but the whole time I felt light as air. I kept thinking of what Cross had said about the future, that I was just one of millions and millions of Raymond Beaumonts. Most of them were in school, diagramming sentences and watching Miss Tui bite her nails. I was the special one. Walking into history, I was super. I caught the 238 train, changed in Stamford, and arrived at Grand Central just after four. I had six hours. I bought myself a hot pretzel and a Coke and tried to decide where I should go. I couldn't just sit around the hotel lobby for all that time. I thought that would draw too much attention. I decided to go to the top of the Empire State Building. I took my time walking down Park Avenue and tried not to see all the ghosts I was about to make. In the lobby of the Empire State Building, I used crosses, I used crosses change to call home. Hello. I hadn't expected dad to answer. I would have hung up except that I knew I might never speak to him again. Dad, this is Ray. I'm safe, don't worry. Ray, where are you? I can't talk. I'm safe, but I won't be home tonight. Don't worry. Ray, what's going on? I'm sorry. Ray! I hung up. I had to. I love you, I said to the dial tone. I couldn't imagine the expression on dad's face. He, how he would tell mom what I would said. Eventually they would argue about it. He would shout, she would cry. As I rode the elevator up, I got mad at them. He shouldn't have picked up the phone. They should have protected me from Cross and the future he came from. I was in the sixth grade. I shouldn't have to have feelings like this. The observation platform was almost deserted. I walked completely around it, Staring at the city, stretching away from me in every direction. It was dusk. The buildings were shadows and the falling light. I didn't feel like Ray Beaumont anymore. He was my secret identity. Now I was the superhero bomb boy. I had the power to bring nuclear war. Wherever I cast my terrible gaze, cars melted and people burst into flames. And I loved it. It was dark when I came down from the Empire State Building. "'I had a sausage pizza and a Coke on 47th Street. "'While I ate, I stuck the plug into my ear "'and listened to the radio. "'I searched for the news. "'One announcer said the debate was still going on "'in the Security Council. "'Our ambassador was questioning Ambassador Zorin. "'I stayed with that station for a while, "'hoping to hear his voice. "'I knew what he looked like, of course.' I knew Stevenson had run for president a couple of times when I was just a baby, but I couldn't remember what he sounded like. He might talk to me, ask me what I was doing in his hotel. I wanted to be ready for that. I arrived at the Waldorf Towers around 9 o'clock. I picked a plush velvet chair that had a direct view of the elevator bank and sat there for about 10 minutes. Nobody seemed to care, but it was hard to sit still. Finally, I got up and went to the men's room. I took my book bag into the stall, closed the door, and got the 357 out. I aimed it at the toilet. The gun was heavy, and I could tell it would have a big kick. I probably ought to hold it with both hands. I put it back in my book bag and flushed. When I came out of the bathroom, I had stopped believing that I was going to shoot anyone, that I could, but I had to find out for Cross's sake. If I was really meant to save the world, then I had to be in the right place at the right time. I went back to my chair, checked my watch. It was 9.20. I started thinking of the one who would pull the trigger. The unlikely Ray. What would make the difference? He had... Had he... Had he read some story in Galaxy that I had skipped? Was it a problem with Mom or Dad? Maybe he had spelled Enigma right? Maybe Cross had lived another 30 seconds in his timeline, or maybe he was just the best that he could possibly be. I was so tired of it all. I must have walked 30 miles since morning and hadn't slept well in days. The lobby was warm, people laughed and murmured, elevator doors dinged softly. I tried to stay up to face history, but I couldn't. I was Raymond Beaumont, but I was just a 12-year-old kid. I remember the doorman waking me up at 11 o'clock. Dad drove all the way into the city that night to get me. When we got home, mom was already in the shelter. Only the third war didn't start that night or the next. I lost television privileges for a month. For most people my age, the most dramatic memory of growing up came on November second, November 22 1963. But the date I remember is July 14th, 1965, when Adelaide Stevenson dropped dead of a heart attack in London. I've tried to do what I can to make up for what I didn't do that night. I've worked for the case wherever I could find it. I belonged to CND and SANE and the Friends of the Earth and was active in the nuclear freeze movement. I think the Green Party is the only political organization worth your vote. I don't know if any of it will change Cross's awful probabilities. Maybe we'll survive in the next... in a few more timelines. When I was a kid, I didn't mind being lonely. Now it's hard, knowing what I know. Oh, I have a lot of friends, all of them wonderful people. But people who know, know me say there's a part of myself that I always keep hidden. They're right. I don't think... I'll, I, well, I don't think I'll ever be able to tell anyone about what happened with Cross, but I didn't do that night. It wouldn't be fair to them. Besides, whatever happens, chances are very good that it's my fault. Well, that was not what I was expecting. Um... Definitely longer than I thought. Um, sorry, y'all. But, interesting. Do I advocate for, um, a nuclear war being set off? No. No, I do not. Um, thank God he fell asleep. Um, wow, I maybe, I feel like I can't end this without... Um since this was a twelve year old with a gun, um just like taking a moment for the kids and the teacher that were killed in in Texas um today, I believe, or yesterday, um due to a school shooting, I think it's so insane and just frustrating that this still happens at this like at this point in time like we truly have done nothing to prevent guns from being put in the hands or being acquired by people that should not be having guns and It's just so sad and I don't, I don't know if, I mean, there's always like people that are like, oh, this will be the one that, you know, makes change. But I mean, not even what, a month ago there was a shooting in a, in a mall and where did that get us? So, what a shame. We really need to have an overhaul of... Congress and Senate, um, but then again, the voting that happens is really disappointing a lot of the times, so, yeah, it's, it's really tough, um, but, you know, people should be able to feel safe where they go, and children should not be dying, so... I don't know what else is there to say but yeah this was quite an odd story um I, I really enjoy the way he writes um I hope my cross impersonation was not horrible um but yeah I didn't I I I don't know if I love the way it ended it's kind of Bleak, definitely, so, but you know, I guess you can't all you can't have you can't have it all at the beginning of this. there was a quote um that says the best but the best evi- evidence we have that time travel is not possible and never will be is that we have not been invaded by hordes of tourists from the future, and that was by Stephen Hawking. The future of the universe I, I i believe that was the book he wrote but which i mean yes he's not wrong he's not wrong but do we know that we haven't been hor- invaded by hordes of taurus like would we know that but then they would fuck up a lot i wonder what also there was mention of 2009 and i do wonder if that was just an arbitrary, um, year that Jim Kelly picked, um, or if there was, like, some reason or something. Again, I don't know when this was written, so maybe I should look that up. But I want to say it wasn't in 1962, surely. Um uh oh, i looked it up and i'm just getting exponents so it it will stay a it will stay a, a mystery someone come back from the future and tell me um thanks in advance anyway sorry this was so long i'll i'll pick a shorter one next week um but if you have any to send in feel free um, and if anyone has anything to say on the chat, um, feel free, I don't know what y'all's thoughts were, but, um, yeah, thank you for listening to How Did It Get So Late, um, I hope you have a lovely rest of your night and week and sweet dreams until next time.